Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. Or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water, without cost, from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Benny. That was so good. It's, um, it's one of those passages that, you know, we could leave it there and sing our next few songs and, and finish up our service, but we'll have a crack at looking into this. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather together this morning and think about these things. Lord, these things that are too wonderful for us, things that in this life we will never fully wrap our head around the beauty and the joy of what awaits us. And so we pray, Lord, that as we sit here, that your spirit would be at work among us, as Ben prayed before, and that you would fix our eyes on what's ahead of us. Lord, we pray that for those of us who need comforting this morning, that this, this passage would do that, that you would do that, Lord, you'd comfort us. And for those who need challenging, Father, that you would challenge us. And we pray that you would do this for your glory and the good of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So if someone went to heaven and came back and told you about it, you'd want to hear that. Right? We'd want to hear if someone went to heaven and did that. That's what made the book in 2010, The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven, so popular. The story was Alex Malake, uh, who had, in 2004, had a terrible car accident. Um, he claimed that he died, went to heaven, and came back. 
And in 2010, the book was released, his book. It was called to be a true story, and it was hugely popular. Uh, it sold a million copies. It was turned into a movie very quickly. And lots of people everywhere wanted to hear about this book. And, hey, Gracie. And it was a, a massively popular book. Now, the problem with this book was that it wasn't true. In fact, the author, Alex Malake, came out in 2011 and said that it was a lie. It continued to sell books, though, until in 2015 he finally released this quote to Christian bookstores to make sure that they stopped selling this book. He said this, Please forgive the brevity because of my limitations. I have to keep this short. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I, uh, when I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to do so. The boy who came back from heaven didn't actually come back from heaven. And the book was pulled off its shelves. It, it stopped selling places. Now, it, it made a, a large splash among people who had read this book. It was quite a big controversy a few years ago. And it is a shame that stuff like this happens. But you kind of get why. Right? Like if someone did go to heaven and came back and could tell you about it, then you'd want to know about that, right? You'd want to read that story. And we would want to read that story because the idea or the concept of heaven is one of those concepts that kind of lacks a little bit of clarity. You know, everyone knows the idea of heaven. You know, even if you've come this morning and never come to church before, we all know the idea of heaven. And sometimes when people face death, often they say things like, we know he's watching down on us, regardless of whether they've thought about heaven before. Even if you have been to church before, you, you've thought about this a long time, the idea of heaven often does lack clarity. You know, we don't know exactly what's in store for us. Some of us think we're going to be sitting on clouds playing the harp. And so it's worth actually stopping for a moment and thinking about this idea, but not looking at, you know, the book, The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven, but actually pushing into God's Word. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's Word and we're going to think about what heaven is like. We're going to ask, what does God say about heaven, about how we understand heaven? What is it going to be like and what does it mean for us? And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Revelation uh, to have a look at this. Now, Revelation, as Ben said before, is the last book of the Bible. And Revelation is one big vision that John is given to encourage the churches. And essentially, you could sum up Revelation like this. The book of Revelation is about how Jesus wins. That's the end. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to zone in to one of those visions and have a look at the vision of heaven. So let's do that. Let's think about what heaven is like this morning as we pick it up from chapter 21. has been read out for us before. Let's pick it up in verse 1 again and have a look at this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Okay, so, so how do we understand heaven? What is heaven going to be like? Well, the first thing we've got to see this morning is that there is a need for something better. Okay, you notice here when John is speaking about heaven, he speaks about what is first going to pass away. Okay, you, you get that a couple of times there. So the first heaven and the first earth are going to pass away. 
He says there'll be no more sea, which is the picture throughout the Bible of chaos and darkness and evil. And then at the very end there, in that powerful verse in verse 4, he says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And then there's that line there, for the old order of things has passed away. The first thing we have to understand when we're thinking about heaven is that there is a need for something better. There is a need for something better. And what he's speaking about is what our experience is here on earth. Now, we know this. We've seen this right throughout our series as we've looked through the story of the Bible. From the very beginning, we've seen that the, the story of the Bible leaves us longing for something better. Okay, so if you've been with us or if you haven't, we've seen this from week one. We saw God created the world and he created it good. Right? It was very good when Adam and Eve were there. We saw God's power and God's might. But the reality is from week one in Genesis 1, despite the fact that it was very good, it wasn't perfect. Even then, there was a need for something better. Now, why is that? Well, they had the chance to ruin it, which they did. There was also the chance to be kicked out of the garden. That's not perfect. And more than that, there was a snake there. Anywhere there's a snake can't be perfection. Of course, we're talking about Satan, but either way, Satan or snake, similar things in my mind, but you can see that in Genesis 1, it's not perfect. The need for something better is even there. Then, of course, week 2, we saw that this was made even worse. This intensified because week 2, we saw sin come into its own. We saw Adam and Eve reject God. And as they rejected God, they were kicked out of the garden, and the curse of sin now was on our world. We saw the judgment of what they had done. We saw that now life would be hard, childbearing would be hard, work would be hard, everything would be hard, and death now exists. Week two, we saw we needed something better. Then week three, we got hints of God's grace. Remember, we saw God's promises to Abraham that God would restore what was in the garden, God's people, and in God's place under God's rule. But what we saw right throughout the whole Old Testament is whenever you get a, a sniff of this, people's sin ruins it. The best kings are pretty wicked. And so over and over again, you see there is a need for something better. Now, week four rocks up, and, and we got a change in gears. You know, remember, we saw Jesus come, and we saw how the whole Old Testament, the promises and the prophecies point us to Jesus. They're all about Jesus. They're not about us. They're all about Jesus, but for us. Because as we look at Jesus, we saw Jesus die and rise again so that we can have a, a relationship with our God and we can know that the promises of God's people in God's place under God's rule are now for us. But then week five, we saw how while this is true and good, there is a reality that this hasn't happened yet. We live in the last days because Jesus died, rose, ascended, and then now we're living in the time while we wait for him to come back. We know we're not there yet. There's still this need for something better. We know that as we live our lives right now. You know, we looked at this last week with the danger of drifting away. That's not the best thing ever. There's a danger there. There's a reality that we need something better. So we've seen right throughout this series the need for something better. But the reality is we actually don't need the Bible to tell us that we need something better. We know that from our experience. You know, we know we need something better. Many of us are feeling that right now as we think about the, the stuff that we've been through in the last little while. We know that our world is broken. We know that our world is under the curse of sin. You might not call it that, but that's our reality. You know, we know suffering exists. We know sickness is around. We know that we face struggles in our lives. We know death. 
we, we don't need the Bible to tell us we need something better. Our experience tells us we need something better. You know, and, and some of us this morning, we're feeling the weight of that reality as we've come here today. For some of us, we, we are living with chronic illnesses. There are mental health struggles that people don't even know about. We face death. We face these problems. We've been weeping lately lots. We understand through our experiences of this world that we need something better. But even if we haven't felt that, we still know that. And we know that from the fact that even the best things in this life don't last. You know, see, our experience of this world is not just bad stuff, it's also that the good stuff doesn't last. You ever experienced that? You know, when you have that best thing ever and then it stops or it fades? This is our reality of our life. We know that. It's not just bad stuff, it's good stuff doesn't last. Now, this week in our neighborhood, there was a kind of a living illustration of this. It was curbside collection. And uh, if you know what that is, that's the moment in your street where everyone puts out their junk. Now, in our street, uh, there was a toy Mercedes car, but it was one of those ones that, as a kid, you can hop in and drive. And I remember seeing these car, this car for the first time when I was like 20, and, um, and I just wished that I could go back to my childhood and get one of those cars and drive around. And this one was quite good condition, looked pretty good, and so you can imagine my joy when I thought I can give Poppy something that I never got to experience. So naturally, we get it, I get out of the car to go and look at this toy car. Looks good from the outside. But when I got closer to it, I pr that thing was the most filthy thing I'd ever seen in my life. There was like six bits of used chewing gum on the bottom of that car. Then the, the ignition, the key of the ignition, I went to pick it up and it was in hummus. I got hummus on my hands as I... But I thought, I'm too far gone here. Let's see if the car works. So I put the key in. The ignition didn't work anyway. So now I'm sitting there covered in hummus looking at this car. It, the upholstery was ripping up. It was raining as well, so the car was so gross. But, you know, in this moment, I almost had this, like, you know, the vision of when this kid got this for the first time. You know, it's not hard to imagine it. You know, when the, the like, I imagine maybe it's at Christmas time and the family has this toy Mercedes. Like, it's pretty big, this thing, wrapped up in a present under the tree and the kid gets this present and unwraps it and the joy on that child's face and the joy on the family's face, and then he drives around Christmas Day, and it's this beautiful experience. But now it's junk. Crusty, chewing gum, hummus-covered junk outside. This is, though, the reality of our world. Now, we know this with toys, but it's true not just with kids' toys. Like, you might have gotten a new phone lately. In three years' time, that thing's probably not going to work. That is our reality of our world, but it's not just true with toys and stuff that we buy. It's true with ourselves. Some of us this morning are feeling like a crusty old hummus-covered car. You know, like it was hard work to get out of bed this morning. This is the reality with our bodies. We are fading and getting older, and that is true for all of us, whether we are aware of it or not. It's true for everything. The best experiences end. Don't you hate that? I hate that the best holidays finish, the best meals finish. Everything good in this, last, in this life ends. We know we need something better. 
We know that. We know that from our bad experiences and we know that from our good experiences and the fact that those good experiences come to an end. So the Bible tells us that we need something better. Our experience tells us we need something better. This world leaves us longing for something better. So what hope do we have? What hope is there in in the middle of facing this where we face bad stuff and the good stuff fades? Well, the good news is God gives us a promise of something better. So he says this in verse 5 where he reiterates what we've already seen. He says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Here it is, the promise of something better. We know we need that. The good news is God promises that we will have something better. Now, at this point, we've got to ask, okay, so what is it going to be like to experience something better? What is this promise like? You know, he says it, there's going to be something new. What is it going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? Well, the good news is, in this passage, there's three aspects to this promise we want to think about. Three aspects to the promise. And all things, I think, help us see what is coming and how good it is. So the first aspect of the promise is that God's dwelling will be there. So we see this in verse 3. So so let's have a look at verse 3 again, because this is what God says. God says, look, sorry, the voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The first aspect of the promise that's going to be good is that God's dwelling will be with us. Our faith will be sight. We will see and be with God. This is is really good because God is the source of all good things, the source of power, the source of joy, the source of beauty, the source of comfort, the source of peace. And heaven is the picture where we'll be with him. You know, you think about, like if you've ever wondered, what was the garden like? In the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve could be with God. If you've ever wondered, what would it be like to be with Jesus? You know, when Jesus walked and taught and spoke and comforted people and was wise and gave wisdom and people could ask him anything and he answered them. If you've ever wondered that, well, this is the picture of heaven. We get to be with God, in God's presence. You know, if you've ever had a taste of the presence of God, you know, if you've ever had a taste of God's peace or a taste of God's comfort or a taste of knowing, you know, that he fully sees me and loves me, well, in heaven, this taste will be seen in reality because God will be there with us. The first reason this is so good, this is something better, is because God will be there. The promise means God will be there. So as we think about heaven and long for heaven, do you long for the day when we'll be with God? That's the first aspect. The second aspect, though, is in verse 4, the next verse there, where it says there'll be no more bad stuff. So it's not just God will be there. The second aspect is there'll be no more bad stuff. And again, let's have a look at verse 4 because it's so, so good. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The second reason the promise is so good is because there will be nothing bad. The curse of sin is undone. In heaven, there will be nothing now, nothing bad. Now, think about this for the early church. We looked at this a little bit last week. The early church were living in a time where following Jesus meant you would suffer and probably die. So Peter last week was writing knowing he would die in a few years' time. 
The early church lived with this reality that they would be persecuted, suffer, and maybe die. And so how good is this for them? You know, your experience right now, God is saying, it won't be like that forever. But of course, of course, this is good for us today. You know, like, like think about it. First of all, he says, no more tears. Such a beautiful reality that there will be no more tears. You know, weeping is often us at the end of ourselves. And God says there will be never a moment where you find yourself overwhelmed by pain or the struggles of life or the anxiety that you face or the suffering or the hurt from others. There will be never a moment where you find yourself crying. No more mourning. It's not just no more mourning, it's no more suffering. You know, if you are that person found it hard to get up this morning, if it if it hurt, if, if you've come here this morning with chronic illnesses, if there's mental health struggles that, that you're wrestling through, if there's things that you are aware of, you know, if you felt sickness lately, or you know that on your horizon is coming, that's coming up. He says there'll be no more suffering, no more doctor's visits, no more treatments, no more cancer, none of that. It's not just no more crying, it's no more suffering, then of course it's no more death. No more funerals. No more lives cut short. No more people that you love that you don't get to see again. There will be no more death. This is a beautiful picture. You know, it doesn't take much for us to see how good this will be. You see, the first aspect is God's presence. The second aspect is no more bad stuff. But then the third aspect is that it will be truly enjoyable. So let's think about this because, you know, sometimes when we think of heaven, like I said before, sometimes, you know, what's your picture of what heaven will be like? You know, some of us, if we're thinking about what heaven will be like, you know, it's me on a cloud playing the harp, and you have to listen to that. Now that, if that is heaven, that is hell, actually. I mean, who knows? In, in eternity, maybe I get timing. I've got a long time to practice. I, I could do that. That picture of heaven, though, is unhelpful, and it's not true. Now, so, so what is heaven like? Well, notice here, he says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that's interesting, right? Because when we think of heaven, we only think of heaven. But he says here, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So what's he getting at here? Well, it's, it's interesting. He's pulling this language from Isaiah 65. So John's vision of heaven, he's going to borrow language from Isaiah when Isaiah had a, prophet, a prophecy from God of what heaven would be like. And, and it's, I, I love this because in Isaiah 65, what we see is that we get this picture of kind of this new earth, the aspect. And I think it's really good to, to have a look at because it's tangible. And it's relatable. So let's go and have a look there. If you've got your Bibles there, flick over to Isaiah 65, or we'll have it on the screen as well. But we're going to have a look at Isaiah 65. And as you're flicking there, notice uh, from verse 17 how it's a similar language. He says in verse 17, I'll create a new heavens and a new earth. 
For the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You know, it's like reading Revelation 21 or have a look at verse 19. He says, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Again, it sounds exactly like we're reading Revelation 21. Now, verse 20 speaks about the, the length. It's, it's imagery of the length of life that we'll get. But what we're going to do is zone into verse 21. And as we do this, I want you to th- see the tangible stuff that we see from verse 21. So the things that we understand. So what we're going to see is stuff that he says about work and about food and about animals and that sort of stuff that we understand. So let's have a look from Isaiah 65 verse 21. The prophet Isaiah is saying this about heaven. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now, do you see what Isaiah is getting at there? Of the picture of what this new earth will be like, this new thing that we will experience will be like. It's kind of like what we know now, but better. In fact, it's actually like what the Garden of Eden was like, but better. In fact, the stuff that he speaks about there is really helpful, right? He says you can build houses. We know that. How exciting is that? You can build a house and live in it in heaven. You know, and I'm sure there's not going to be, you know, shortages or delays on that house or any problems that you have with building houses. You can build a house in heaven and live in it. Or he speaks about work here. So we will work in heaven. Now, it's not going to be like your work now, because work now is cursed. But work in heaven is not. We will enjoy it. We will labor in it, not be in vain. Or there will be food in heaven. We understand that. You know, you can, you can go to your grapevine and pick off grapes and eat it. That sounds pretty good. And it's not just, you know, eating grapes. You can do all sorts of things with grapes. I'm sure there's wine in heaven. We see that elsewhere. So there's houses and there's work and there's food and there's wine. And then the animals, look at the animal stuff. I mean, there's the wolf and the lamb are feeding together. The lion is going to eat straw like the ox. So if you've ever wanted to pat a lion, you can do that in heaven or, or ride a crocodile if that's what you want to do. This is the picture, right? The animals in heaven. Now, the point is not, is not about the animals. The point is that there's going to be no danger in heaven, no destruction. There will be peace in heaven. Now, all of a sudden, as we see what Isaiah is saying, now we begin to understand we aren't sitting on clouds, playing anything. It's just like earth, but better. It's just like the garden, but better. Because it's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, now it's really important we see this. Because as we think about the longing of the future, I think actually having a picture of something tangible matters. It's important we know in some sense what it will be like. So the three things of the promise. God will be there. His dwelling will be there. That is really good. There'll be no more bad stuff. That is really good. And then life will be truly enjoyable. Like it was meant to be, but it will be better than it was meant to be. 
And of course, that will be really good. So you begin to see then there's a need for something better and then a promise for something better. Now, the natural question is, okay, how do we make sure we get this? You know, if that is the promise that we get, how do we make sure we get this? Well, this is how we finish in Revelation 21 and really how we finish as we wrap up this series. And we see this from uh, verse 7, as I find there, or it might be verse 6. Revelation's at the end of the Bible. And we see that John gives us the choice of some, something better. We're going to pick it up from verse 6. The choice of something better. John says this, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. How do we make sure we get this promise of something better? Well, John shows us the reality that the story of the Bible offers us two pictures of what we want, heaven or hell, and we will get what we decide. That's essentially what we see here. So firstly, the picture of heaven, he says this, he will give it to those without cost. Those who thirst will receive it. Those who are victorious will inherit it. I will be their God and they will be my children. Now, this is what we've seen right throughout the story of the Bible, that if we put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we're not just made right in the courtroom of God, we're adopted into God's family. And as children, we have an inheritance. And God will give that inheritance to his children. So, so if we trust in Jesus, this promise of something better will be ours. But there's also another reality. And what he's speaking about here is hell. And so it's for those who don't trust in Jesus. There's a list there in verse 8, but essentially it's just those who don't trust in Jesus. And it says there, they will be consigned to the fiery lake. Now the, the word there, consigned, is literally portion. That's what the word is literally. And I think that's helpful because you've got inheritance and you've got portion. So again, the story of the Bible, if you don't trust in Jesus, then you will receive what you deserve. Outside of God, rejecting God, you will get what you deserve. Jesus isn't going to take your place. Your portion will be the second death. Now this is confronting. It should confront us. It's the simple truth of the Bible, but it is confronting. And many of us have been rocked by this and are still rocked by this. But what we must realize is that John is giving us these words not to cripple us, but to spur us on and to move us. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the great author of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Christian author who... Um, you know, you might know, he wrote this small book a few years, a few years ago now called The Great Divorce. And I, I'm not recommending that book because I can't remember it, but I do remember a quote from it that was really helpful as we think about this reality, these two realities of heaven and hell. So C.S. Lewis, speaking about it, said this, as we kind of wrestle with how we understand it and where we fit in it, he said this, Never fear. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, 
and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. And here it is, he quotes the words of Jesus. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, it is opened. I find his quote here so helpful. And really what he's doing is capturing what Revelation 21 says. In the end, there will be two choices and two consequences for that choice. There will be heaven and there will be hell. And so this morning, as we see Revelation 21, the challenge is to make sure that we are trusting in God in this moment. Now, as we're looking at heaven today, the question is not, do you want heaven or hell? Because under those circumstances, of course, everyone picks heaven over hell, if that's the choice. But really, the question is, do you want to trust Jesus or not? That's, that's what we're asking here this morning. Do you want to trust Jesus, live for Jesus, do what he's called you to, rest in what he's done at the cross? If you do, you will inherit the promise. But if you reject Jesus, then your portion will be what you choose. So what are you going to do? What choice are you going to make? And this is not just a question we're asking because we're looking at heaven. This is the question we're asking because this is what the whole story of the Bible leads us to. You see, as we get to the end of this series, the whole story of the Bible, God's heart from beginning to end, is inviting God's people back to himself. You know, we've, we've seen this from creation from sin, from the Old Testament and all the things that we see in the Old Testament, from Jesus, from the church and the last days right through to heaven, what we see is that God's heart on display here, he longs for humanity to enter back into this relationship with him where they can be safe and secure and spend eternity enjoying the promise. So as we wrap up this series, not just heaven, but as we wrap up this series, this is the choice that we want to put to you. And I want to finish with the words of C.S. Lewis again, of this reality. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find, and those who knock, it is opened. I pray you'll make this choice and we'll trust in Jesus. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, as we finish this series this morning, as we finish up looking at the whole story of the Bible, God, we ask that we would see your heart in this moment. Not just the promise, Lord, that awaits us, but your heart for us and your heart for all people to come to know you. Lord, we reflected on this last week that the only reason we're still here and not in heaven is because you are being patient, wanting all people to come to repentance. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that work in us this morning but also that this would move us and transform us, aware of the beauty that lies in the promise, the promise where we'll get to be with you, the promise of no more bad things and the promise of a life that will be truly enjoyable. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.